It's August 2021. Welcome to another episode of Muse News, the BCMA's monthly museum sector news podcast. Each month, we recap some of the latest news, happenings, and announcements from museums, galleries, and heritage organizations across BC and beyond. I'm Lorenda. And I'm Ryan. Join us as we explore the latest Muse News. Indigenous programming is being expanded at the Museum of North Vancouver thanks to a generous gift of $350,000 from BMO Financial Group. The museum, which is set to open a 16,000-square-foot facility in Lower Lonsdale later this year, will now be able to boost its work with the Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, which is focused on building meaningful relationships with the community and delivering Indigenous-focused learning experiences. Through this work, a main goal for MANOVA, the Museum of North Vancouver, is to implement the museum-related recommendations in the final report of the National Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a release stated. Chief Janice George and Carlene Thomas, who are co-chairs of MANOVA's Indigenous Voices Advisory Committee, said the support from BMO represents another positive step towards reconciliation between the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and North Shore communities. An important part of strengthening our cultures and nations require that the Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh people tell the story of our past, how it's understood, described, documented, managed, and communicated, they said in a release, noting that the gift would help them continue this important work. For Wesley A. Wenhart, the museum director, the gift means Minova will be able to do more of what it does best. Sharing stories is at the heart of what we do at Minova, he said. Support from organizations like BMO is crucial to allow MANOVA to deliver important public and educational programs in collaboration with their Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh partners, whose ancestors have lived here for countless generations. So far, BMO's gift has supported the recruitment of cultural programmers, a practices advisor from the Squamish Nation, and a Young Canada Works Indigenous curatorial assistant from the Tsleil-Waututh Nation. Further to this, MANOVA will use the gift to develop a number of programs, learning experiences, and workshops in partnerships with Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. School programs will be created to provide students and teachers with unique knowledge about First Nations and public programs will offer introductions to knowledge, skills, and language sharing, as well as other traditional cultural expressions. On top of this, there'll be storytelling and workshops by cultural interpreters, community advisors, and elders, as well as learning experiences created by artists that will provide opportunities for students and museum drop-ins. Thanks, Lorenda. BC to mark September 30th as Day of Commemoration. Murray Rankin, Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, and Selena Robinson, Minister of Finance, have released the following statement on marking September 30th, Orange Shirt Day, as a Federal Truth and Reconciliation Day. Quote, Over the past two months, Canadians have been coming to terms with what the survivors of residential schools have always known. Indigenous peoples are bringing to light the true history of this country and the atrocities of the residential school system. We share the grief, the pain, and the outrage, and understand that we have a painful but necessary road ahead of us to walk together, to right wrongs, and to support Indigenous communities who are carrying this ongoing burden with strength, resilience, and leadership. The need has never been greater to listen and to learn about BC's colonial history, and to seek truth, justice, and reconciliation. As government, we have an important role in this process. We know that non-Indigenous British Columbians throughout the province want to play an active part in this critical work. The BC government is calling on everyone who delivers services to the public to use this opportunity to consider what each of us can do as individuals to advance reconciliation with Indigenous peoples and to commit to understanding the truth of our shared history, to accept and learn from it, and in doing so, help to create a better, more inclusive British Columbia. An Nanaimo man's 140,000 specimen mollusk collection has found a new home at a BC Biodiversity Museum. 
Bill Merleys, a retired BC Parks Regional Information Officer, collected mollusk shells ranging from large clams to tiny snails found on the BC shorelines for nearly 50 years. In that time, he amassed and catalogued more than 140,000 shells and possibly the most extensive collection of micro-mollusks ever gathered from BC's coast. Murley's interest in mollusks was sparked when he was five years old by his father who gave him a clam shell, but his hobby of collecting shells took off after he moved to Nanambo in 1978. I really had a glorious opportunity because my job with BC Parks took me up and down the island all over the place, he said. I'd have this spoon and I'll find a nice rock at low tide and scrape all the slime and goop off of it, put it into a plastic bag and bring it home and put it in my wife's freezer, which of course wasn't very popular. Millie's would thaw the samples, screen out shells between one of five millimeters in size, and then with a pair of watchmaker's forceps, sit for hours peering through a microscope and picking out the micro mollusks, which he preserves in vials. This came about in an interesting way, Merley said. The Canadian Wildlife Service were trying to find out what some of the shorebirds were feeding on. They'd analyzed the stomach contents, but they had nothing to identify the little snails they found. So I started gravitating to getting smaller, smaller, and finally ending up getting it down to what I call micro mollusks. Merlees gathered specimens from Vancouver Island, Haida Gwaii, and Washington State, accompanied at times by his friend, marine biologist Rick Harbo. Merlees' collection, stored in wooden cabinets he built, fills a bedroom in his Departure Bay area home. Vials containing micro-mollusks fill just one of dozens of cabinet drawers, yet account for about 126,000 of the estimated 140,000 specimen collection. Each sample is accompanied by particulars such as date, time, location, tide conditions, surface type such as rock or sand, size of scraping, number of specimens, and how many of each were found. He also used methods of preserved specimen DNA, which might one day help further species identification efforts. Millie said some of his specimens are new to the field of mollusk study and haven't been formally recognized. Samples were sent to James Hamilton McLeod, a malacologist and former curator at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County, who included some of them in a 2,000-page monograph he compiled. Unfortunately, McLean died in 2016 before it could be published. Merlees, now 81, stopped making collection trips in 2020, but he hopes his donation bound for the University of British Columbia's BD Biodiversity Museum will become a learning resource for future biology students. Thanks, Lorenda. BC's Black History is showcased in a new exhibit at the Royal BC Museum. The Royal BC Museum is recognizing the contributions of black people in BC with a new gallery dedicated to black history. This free exhibit debuted Saturday in the museum's pocket gallery, a small display space on the ground floor that the museum typically uses to showcase the behind-the-scenes work of its staff. Titled Hope Meets Action, Echoes Through the Black Continuum, the new exhibit was developed by the BC Black History Awareness Society in partnership with the museum. The exhibit features audio recordings of black British Columbians from around the province, as well as work from young black artists on the history of Vancouver's Hogan's Alley community. Quote, it's not very big, but it's significant given that this is the first time something like this is happening, said Sylvia Manang Elaine, president of the BC Black History Awareness Society. The exhibit will be in place until March 1st. After that, the museum plans to add some of the displays to its permanent galleries. Nations and families from far-flung parts of coastal BC gathered to launch the Sacred Journey exhibit and celebrate the enduring importance of Indigenous canoe culture that stretches across the Pacific Northwest coast. 
The traditional ocean-going canoe, or gloa in the Heltzik language, is a way of life essential to First Nations sustenance, social life, community culture, and ceremony, said the exhibit's executive producer, Frank Brown, at the Campbell River Museum, the first stop in the show's five-year tour. The story of the ocean-going canoe on the coast is all of our story, said Brown of the Heltzik Nation. The canoe made our society what it is, he said to the crowd, which included members of the Nichalneth and Heltzik nations, among others, as well as the hosting nation, the Waiwaikum. It mobilized us so we could harvest the abundance of the sea and the land to evolve to be great cultures, Brown said. Our common heritage of the ocean-going canoe, big houses, and ceremonies like the potlatch is what unifies us as a coastal native people. Canoe culture was nearly extinguished by colonialism, but has made a comeback over the last three decades, particularly through the tribal canoe journeys, which has sped a resurgence of Aboriginal cultural and youth empowerment. The annual event, involving Indigenous nations across the Pacific Northwest coast from Alaska to Oregon, sees paddlers traveling hundreds of kilometers to visit sister nations to foster solidarity and cultural exchange. The Sacred Journey exhibit was developed to share the knowledge and experience of the ocean-going canoe through art, immersive audio, video displays, and interactive experiences from Indigenous point of view, Brown said. Hopefully, the Sacred Journey exhibit will provide viewers and other Indigenous people who haven't experienced the transformative power of an ocean-going canoe, said Brown, who, as a young man, raised funds to carve a traditional canoe and mobilized others to make a symbolic journey to Expo 86 in Vancouver. Many people at the opening ceremony spoke of the life-changing effects that being part of the coastal canoe family had on them and thousands of youth in their communities. Sacred Journeys will be on display at the Campbell River Museum until early November. Powell River Historical Museum and Archives will be considering an adjustment to its name. In a media release, the museum stated that it is committed to improving relationships in the spirit of reconciliation and extended its appreciation for the opportunity to live and learn in this territory. Quote, Before we begin the discussion of a future name adjustment, first we acknowledge that the Powell River Historical Museum and Archives is located on the traditional territory of the Talaman Nation, the release stated. To explain why our name is currently being discussed, we must first discuss the role of museums in communities and in the creation of national narratives. The museum board and staff recognize and acknowledge that museums across the country witnessed and contributed to the colonial erasure of cultural practices in First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities, according to the release. Quote, we ask for the public's patience and understanding during this time. We are working on a plan to guide our reconciliation efforts and hope to work closely with the community and with the Talaman Nation in this regard. The museum looks forward to sharing its plan with the community once it is completed. Compared to 100 years ago, the Columbia River is almost unrecognizable. Stretching from British Columbia to Oregon, the Columbia River now has over 60 dams in place. Used primarily for hydroelectricity, these dams are critical pieces of infrastructure for life in Canada and the United States. However, their construction did not come without consequences. Stories Beneath the Surface is a Revelstoke Museum and Archives exhibit focused on the construction of the Hugh Keenly Side Dam and the lives it affected. Stories Beneath the Surface is a Revelstoke Museum and Archives exhibit focused on the construction of the Hugh Keenly Side Dam and the lives it affected. Recently, this exhibit joined the Community Stories Program by Digital Museums Canada. Through funding, the program aims to bring local stories to life with digital technology. So far, the online version of the exhibit will include 20 pages of photos, video interviews, and audio recordings. This will give visitors to the site a chance to learn about this aspect of our region's history and will reach a broader audience than we were able to through the physical exhibit at the museum, said Kathy English, Revelstoke Museum and Archives curator. 
Currently, the museum has an interactive map of the dam available online. History buffs can step back in time and explore the area virtually with this feature. Located just outside Castle Guard, the dam changed the landscape of the Columbia River Valley all the way to Revelstoke. The project also created the Arrow Lakes Reservoir, which is a whopping 230 kilometers long. By the time the construction finished in 1969, over 2,000 people were displaced. Entire communities were sacrificed for this project under the Columbia River Treaty. The treaty was originally signed in 1961 by former Prime Minister John Deven Baker and former United States President Dwight Eisenhower. However, the treaty protocol and Canada-BC agreement were not fully ratified until 1964. There was no consultation with the people living in the valley, and many felt that their rural lifestyle was not valued and that compensation was not adequate, explains English. Submerged communities include Mount Karche, a Ukrainian farming settlement approximately 12 kilometers south of Revelstoke, and Arrowhead, a former steamboat port in Upper Arrow Lake. There are also elements of Indigenous history highlighted in stories beneath the surface. Many of the Indigenous people in the area were displaced before dam construction began. Nonetheless, the flooding of the valley affected those groups as well. In the process of flooding the Columbia River Valley, massive amounts of habitats and farmland were lost. Approximately 212 kilometers of river, lakes, and valley bottomland flooded. While this destroyed many habitats, it's also formed new wetlands across the banks at the flood zones. Looking underwater, there is still evidence of the previous settlements. Heritage history and sentimental items mark the lives uprooted by the dam construction. Nature is slowly reclaiming these artifacts as they rust away underwater. Sterling Prize recipient challenges racism and the role of museums in an era of reconciliation. Stukas, also known as Lucy Bell, is the recipient of Simon Fraser University's 2021 Nora and Ted Sterling Prize in support of controversy for her bravery in calling out racism in the heritage field and advocating for change. Quote, receiving the Sterling Prize is so amazing, and to see the people hear my truth and my voice, said Stukas. The whole point of this prize is to provide a platform to have difficult conversations, so it's a huge win for whistleblowers and Indigenous peoples. It shows that we can do something about racism, and there's an opportunity to make change. She made headlines in 2020 when she resigned from her high-profile position as head of the Indigenous Collections and Repatriation Department at the Royal BC Museum in Victoria. In her resignation speech, which launched a public service agency investigation, Stukas, alleged a culture of personal and systemic institutional racism that she and other Indigenous and people of color faced in the workplace. Her speech and allegations rocked the museum world. The investigation substantiated numerous claims of racism in the workplace and bullying. She sees the Sterling Prize as an opportunity to further discussion on racism against Indigenous people, and as another step forward towards reconciliation, so the next generation, like her daughter Amelia, doesn't have to face the same discrimination as she has. Quote, there are so many opportunities within the heritage field in Canada. We have to address discrimination in order to move forward. Join us next month for another episode of Muse News.